For the last couple of weeks, every morning when I get up and every night when I go to bed, I turn on the news to find out what's happening in Egypt and in parts of northern Africa. Have any of you done that? It's it's been so deep in my heart, my thoughts and my prayers. Um, I had the chance to go to Egypt a few years ago. I loved it. Uh, The history is rich. Uh, The country is beautiful. And I think my favorite part is the people. It's such a warm-hearted, I just love the time, the food is good too. Um, But though I've been there, um, I'm still an outsider. And as the news started coming about the unrest, and actually the amazing thing about people who were divided coming together in revolution, I I looked at them and said, how how could that happen? Uh, And so one of the beautiful things about living here in Southern California and in Pasadena is that we have people who were born in Egypt and with family members in Egypt all around us in Pasadena. And even in our own church family, I look out and see some of you who are there. It's a wonderful thing uh, to be here. So as some of you know, I've been coming into you and saying, can you help me to understand this? Are there any books that I as your pastor might read to be able to make some sense out of the, the history of Egypt and, and all of this, I see you're already looking at one of them. Some people have said one of the things you might look at is, is just the history of Egypt. And the one that people have pointed me to is Afaf Marsat's A History of Egypt. As I was looking for that one online, I found out that he has also written a concise history of Egypt. So that's the one I want to get. It's about fourth the size of the other. Uh, but you know, when you just buy a history book like that, It will give you some of the events and names and and dates and so forth, but it probably isn't going to get me into the minds and hearts of people, the perspective that would lead to what we're seeing in our world. And I've said that, and some have said, well, you know, maybe what you'd be looking for, Pastor, is uh, some of these books that are being written now, historical fictions. There are a number of them coming out in Egypt in which uh, we sort of get into the history, into the lives of individuals. And the book that's been mentioned most often to me is a book called Yakubian Building, a bestseller from just a few years ago by a man, I think you would say his name, Allah al-Aswani. Did I get anywhere close to it? <laughs> so, uh, but uh, each time when somebody would recommend this book to me, they would say, but you need to know, it's marked uh, by a very distinctive political and sociological viewpoint, so you have to be careful. Uh, What I'm getting at is this, whenever you're trying to understand something as big as what is happening in a whole country with a history as rich and long as Egypt, then the books that you get, you you have to figure, first of all, where can you get it? And none of our local bookstores had these books. And the second thing, when you do get it, the big question is, is it true? Is it trustworthy? Or does it give such a slanted perspective that you won't see it aright? Does that make sense to you? Now, that brings us into the topic of the day, because we as followers of Jesus have said that we need to have an understanding, not just for one nation, its history, but for the whole world and its history. We want to understand this world that God has put us in. We want to understand our own lives and and where things are headed. And the only one, those who follow Jesus, the only one who can get up high enough to give us a true perspective on everything that is in this world is the one who has made it all who was here before anything was created, namely God himself. And so the question that I would want to ask is, I I hope he's written a book. And where can I find it? Do I go down to the local bookstore and hope he's signing autographs on books there? Or has he engraved it on a rock? Or how do we we get hold of it? And then obviously, once you do get hold of that, 
the big question sets in. Once you have it, is that book true and trustworthy to understand the world we're in and to know how to live? And so we come to Article 2 of our Statement of Faith that has to do with what we call God's Word, the Holy Scriptures. And I just want you to know that I, as your pastor, and we, as your ministry council, come to you, and we just join together with the church deep and wide. You know what I mean by that? Deep. We're not the first Christians. We're a part of a movement that's gone on a long time. Wide. We're not the only place where God's people are meeting. We're a part of a family that is all over the world. And all over the world and throughout history, followers of Jesus have generally affirmed that this word of God is true, that when it speaks, it is authoritative and to direct our lives, and that it's sufficient It's what we need to know, to know God, to understand ourselves, and to be able to live well in this world. Well, last night people applauded, but uh, you you don't need to. I'm not trying to manipulate. See, I'm manipulating it. I'm manipulating it. It doesn't feel real to me, but um, I pray it is. Let me show you how we've tried to frame it. When you write this down, sometimes it loses some of the power of what actually happens when we hear this word. But we've written it this way. What we believe is that God has spoken in the Scriptures, and by that we mean both the Old and New Testaments, but through the words of human authors. God, His work and His ways, are revealed through the Bible truly, though surely not exhaustively. It's not everything about the world. As the inspired Word of God, It is without error in the original writings. It is the complete revelation of His will for salvation, And it's the ultimate authority both for what we believe and for how we live. Therefore, the Bible is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. We have said that the heart of this message is the gospel, good news from God. And what we say is that God's good news is authoritatively announced to us in the scriptures. Now, as I come to a sermon about this, there are some real challenges in preaching a sermon like this. Some of you have already imagined them. The first one is this. I always find it easier to preach from the Bible than about the Bible. You know, there's a difference there. Um, So we're going to want to hear some of Scripture today, too, not just hear about it. But the bigger thing is this, uh, that in our day, and and not just ours, but, but, but for a long time, people have asked that same question that I asked about the books recommended to me regarding Egypt. Is that book something that is reliable? Is it true? Is it trustworthy? And especially because we know that it comes to us through uh, human authors. Uh, I I think those who go to a church like Lake Avenue Church, you probably have a, a fairly positive opinion of the Bible, or you probably wouldn't be here unless you've been forced to come by your parents or your spouse or or whatever reason. Probably... Uh, God has inspired you through it. Probably you have found parts of the Bible that have directed your life. But maybe there are still questions about what parts of it are really to be trusted, what parts of it are reliable, and, and how do we hear God's voice in the midst of it. Most of us know that it was written by many, many authors over hundreds of years. That in fact, I was jotting down the, the kind of authors who, whose writings are found in the Bible, kings and peasants too. Uh, philosophers and poets, fishermen, statesmen, prisoner, medical doctors, even one medical doctor. 
And then when you read it all the way through, and I really would encourage you to do that, you just find all sorts of literature here. There are history books. There are sermons in here. There are poems and and songs in here. There's even a love letter in here. There are architectural specifications. There are travel diaries in this book. There are population records in this book. There are family trees that are here. So we look at how can all of that be God's word? And most of us know that those of us who follow Jesus and who say that this is God's word do not make the same claims about the Bible that some religions, like the, the faith of Islam, make about their book, the Quran. We don't say that God dictated it. Instead, we say that he inspired human authors and then preserved the writings. We try to say things like Peter said in Second Peter chapter 1. People wrote as they were, in his language, moved along by the Holy Spirit. Now that is, I can understand it, but just to nail down how that exactly happened is very, very hard. And so we have this challenge today to make sure that we know that God's people have always believed that this is God's word, but it's God's word that has come through human authors. And in trying to understand how that can be and speak truthfully to us, even though human beings were very much involved in doing it, brings us into some of the... Biggest challenges that we, uh, Jesus followers, always have in understanding the kind of God we believe in and that this word tells us that God is. That, that he was before time and space. That he's not limited in the way you and I are limited by time and space, but that he enters into and has meaningful relationships with us in time and space. Do you understand how that is? If you can understand that and put it in one sentence, come up and help us out. I tell you, it blows the mind for us who are finite in our understandings. So that almost all of the big challenging debates that we've had in the history of the church really come back to that same issue. How God can be what we call transcendent outside of time, but also entering right into it so that we can talk with him and you and I can come to know him. Issues like uh, Jesus. Uh, Jesus was fully God. So then the question comes up, could he have been tempted? God, God being tempted? It can't be real. I mean, he'd overcome that. On the other side, he is fully human. Oh, then he had to have been tempted, right? Anybody else who's human who's here? So how do you put that together? Or in one of the biggest debates in the history of the church, on one side, that the God we believe in is in control of everything. He spoke it all into being. He has said that there is a plan that I am working out We read constantly, God has said it will happen, it must happen, and He will bring it to completion. In that we have confidence that whatever happens here is not outside of the plan and the work of God. So that's beautiful, isn't it? But then we pull back and say, but wait a minute, how does that fit together with people who are made in His image having real choices? Are we just robots being manipulated by God? How does that fit together, our moral responsibility with God's sovereignty? See, all of it comes back to this beautiful but mind-boggling truth that God stands apart from beyond our limitations but enters into them. And in the same way, this is fully God's word and yet comes to us as human beings. I'll just tell you, I can't say everything about that today. I can't even write, I don't even understand everything about that. But the little bit that I did, we've put together in a commentary that's available at the uh, 
at the uh, welcome booth and it will be online. But today I just want to cover a couple of the most important things. I don't want you to go home without this. First, brothers and sisters here at Lake, I want you to remember this always, that the God we believe in speaks. So that when you come in to the church and you're walking through anything that is happening, God is in this place and he's not remote. He speaks to us. At the very beginning of the Bible, do you remember last week, I I opened it up and I said, when you open that up, it is as if God is declaring, I am here. You've wondered if I am intuitively, you know I am and I am here. And the very first creative act of God in Genesis 1 is, he speaks. God says, let there be light. And there was light. And, and so he has spoken through creation, through looking at the world we are in and its order and its beauty. We know that there must be someone behind all of it. We see something of his majesty and his beauty and his order. And the Bible keeps reaffirming that. One of the most beautiful places, one of my favorite places, is Psalm 19. In which God's word declares this, The heavens declare the glory of God. Even the skies themselves make known His handiwork. Day after day you look at what God has made and it pours forth speech. You can tell I like that. You just look at the world, especially when God's put us in a place like we are in that is so powerful and beautiful. You look at these mountains, you look at that ocean, and you know that the one who made them all is our Father. It's one of the way God speaks. But when you come to Genesis 2, you see this more personal side. That when he made people in his image, he spoke directly and personally to people. Sometimes encouraging them, letting them know that made in his image, he's given us the ability and the opportunity to care for this world so that it will be very good as he made it to be. Sometimes he gives instructions, don't eat of that tree. And then after we ate of that tree, he comes and brings judgment. After Genesis 3, uh, people had to leave that garden. And so that kind of regular, uh, ongoing conversation with God was broken. People in and of ourselves are, are dead to God even and need to be made alive to God. But God continued to speak. He would choose particular individuals, especially prophets. He would speak to them, give messages for his people. And much of it found its way into what we call the Old Testament. And when Jesus came, those 30 years that changed the world, when God came to this world, he would say, John chapter 5, all that was there actually is pointing to me. It has to be fulfilled. It is pointing to my coming. Now I have come. Then he lived the life we should have lived, but none of us have. And he died the death that we should have to die because of our sin, but we don't have to because he did in our place. Hallelujah. And he rose again and ascended to heaven. And he brought the message of who he was and what he had done and what we must do in response to it through his apostles and through others that they influenced so that the New Testament points back to the person of Jesus. The Old Testament was pointing forward to his coming at the very heart of this word of God is Jesus himself. It is a God who speaks and whose speech is contained in this word. I want you to remember that. So that when we open up this word, we are coming to hear the word of God that will always, always, always point us to good news that is in Jesus. Now, the second thing I want to point out, I want us to observe this. What happens when God speaks? I'll tell you one of the burdens I've had in preaching this message is that it wouldn't just be this cerebral, heady discussion 
using all the words that we have to use in describing what we believe about the Bible, but that we would know what happens and why we believe what we believe about it being truthful and authoritative and sufficient. Part of it is that it's, that's what God says it is. But a big part of it is the fact that when God speaks, we experience the voice of God and God's people always have. This part of the message I'm going to put in now, it, it came about because I was um, traveling down to uh, Los Angeles with my son. And as we were going down and I was telling him about this message, Brandon said to me, Now, in this sermon, are you just going to tell us about the Bible or are we actually going to get to hear the Word of God? I felt very convicted. I'm not going to travel with him anymore. But I decided we need to take time and just as a family gather together and just hear a part of God's word and see if we hear his voice in it. I came back to Nehemiah chapters 8 and 9. It's a text in the Bible in which God's people heard the word of God that went on before them. The scriptures they had in Nehemiah were actually what is called the law, the first five books of Moses, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The people of Israel in the 5th century B.C. had been separated because of their sin. They'd been exiled to other countries, but then they came back again. And there was great rejoicing. They rebuilt the walls around their beautiful capital city of Jerusalem. Then they came together for a big festival, the Festival of Tabernacles. And do you know what they wanted to hear when they gathered there back in their homeland? They wanted to hear the scriptures. They asked their pastor, their priest, Ezra, please read to us the word of God. Now, I'll tell you, if you come to church and you just say, Pastor, all we want to hear is a word from God, it'll be so easy for me to preach. And so that's what happened on that day. And it's recorded right here in God's word. And I just want you to hear what happened. And I pray that this will happen even as we read it and that it will happen every time we gather and this word is open. So I'm going to, it's going to be kind of like me reading to my family, right? As we gather here to hear the word of God, beginning in Nehemiah chapter 7. Verse 53, hear the word of the Lord. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, chapter 8, all the people then came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, their teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon. Six hours. I might do it today. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for that occasion. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, all the people stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen! Amen! And then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites instructed the people in the law, while the people were standing there, they read from the book of God, making it clear, giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. The Nehemiah, their governor, Ezra, the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, 
This day is holy to the Lord your God. So do not mourn or weep, for all of the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the Lord. Nehemiah said, no, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have prepared nothing. For this day is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So all the people went away to eat and drink. Do it after church today. There is. To send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because now they understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra, the teacher, to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, how they should celebrate that day, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. So the people went out and obeyed this word. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated like this. And their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God, and they celebrated the festival for seventh days. And on the eighth day, there was an assembly. Chapter 9. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together. They were fasting, wearing sackcloth, putting dust on their heads. They stood in their places. They confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. A quarter of the day. And spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. They cried out with loud voices to the Lord their God. And the Israelites said, Now stand up. And praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. And they did. They said, Blessed be your glorious name. May it be exalted above all blessing and praise, for you alone are the Lord. You made the heavens. They were reading Genesis. Even the highest heavens and all the starry host. You made the earth and all that is on it. You made the seas. And all that is in them. You give life to everything. And the multitudes of heaven worship you. And this is the word of God. Hallelujah and thanks be to God. What do we say about this? Here they were reading this word, and it's the very part of the word that many people in our day have the most problems with. The first five books of the Old Testament. And yet when they heard it, God spoke to them. And when he spoke, they knew it was true. And when it's God who was speaking truly, they knew they had to respond. And they discovered it was exactly what they needed to be able to live. That this was the one thing that would bring them together as a people. This was the one thing who in the midst of all the challenges that they were going to have would bring them guidance and joy for the reading of this word was the joy that gave them strength. 
I'm just telling you, they knew it was true. They knew it was trustworthy. They knew it was, trust, it was uh, sufficient for all that they needed to know about God and themselves and the world that they lived in. This is the Word of God. This is what will be preached in this place. It is what the Hebrews writer said. What he said about it was this. Chapter 4, verse 12. The Word of God is alive and active. It's just not a, a heady case that it's true, but when we hear it, it speaks to us, it confronts us, it even empowers us to obey what it says. It is alive and active. And what it will always do is that it is sharper than any double-edged sword, for it penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges our thoughts. And it judges the attitudes of our heart. I only want to tell you that what they experienced there has been also my experience. Times when, when I've opened this word, not really wanting to, but doing it out of habit, out of discipline, and hearing God's voice speak. Encouraging, correcting, directing. And I pray that you have experienced the same thing. We find, try to find words to explain it. And that's what we've tried to do in this second article. So let us now learn what it is we want to say to us as a church family. That God's word that is contained here speaks truthfully to us. We've said without error what we mean by that, as at least I mean by it, is that the scriptures are true in what they affirm to be true. And they're also true in what they affirm to be false. You see, when you think about it that way, then it gives us this great privilege that the Levites had in Nehemiah chapter 8. That when it is read, to get involved in, in understanding what it means. Did, did you remember that? The Levites were there alongside of the people, doing what I'm doing now. Saying, this is what God has said, now let's, let's understand it. To, to do all of the work of, of, of hermeneutics, of, of, of looking how that kind of literature is to be understood. To putting it within its cultural setting and applying it to the lives of people. Finding out what the Bible is teaching and what it's affirming. And know that when we find out what it is that God is saying. That it can be trusted. My personal confidence in the truthfulness of this word is not just based upon the experience of hearing God's word. But I think supremely for me it is based in the way Jesus read this word. I, I would encourage you to read through the Gospels and just see that his whole life was directed by the, by, by the scriptures that he had, our Old Testament. Saying when it is there it is true and it must be fulfilled again and again. When he had battles, whether it was when he was tempted by the devil or with the Pharisees, always, always, he would say, it is written, it is written. Let us see what the scriptures say, for this is true and this will guide us. One of my favorite parts in praying to the Father, he would even say, your word is truth. And that's what we're wanting to say to you as well, that the Bible is true. And when it is true and it comes from God, it is authoritative. It will give us the priorities for our lives. It will give us the basis to make our decisions, our moral decisions. Do you remember last week I, I said in, in Genesis uh, chapter 1 uh, that when God spoke, when his word spoke and things obeyed, at the end of it, it was all very good. And so a principle is put into place that when God's creatures hear and obey God's word, then and only then will things come back into order and can things be beautiful. 
It is our authority both for what we believe and how we live. And I'll just ask those, those who have walked with Jesus a long time. Isn't it true it's in those moments when we know what God's word would have us to do. But we've gone our own way anyway. Then our lives are messed up. There is nobody more unhappy than a follower of Jesus who is not living for Jesus. There is nobody. I think people who don't know Jesus might enjoy sin a whole lot more than we can. Because we know it's only going to destroy our lives. Knowing that is what has brought us to Jesus in the first place. And then we go back to it. But when we hear this word, when we come into this place or you open it and this word is open, we say, yes, that's how I'm supposed to live. When we follow it, and we can only do it with, with his power and with his guidance, then, then our lives become beautiful. It is true. It is authoritative. And the other word that we use it is sufficient. And we put it this way. I think I've written it here so you can see it. God, his work and his ways are revealed through the Bible truly. So we're not saying exhaustively. It's not everything that is true in God's creation is going to be found here. Any problem you have, there's going to be a verse that, that speaks directly to that. It will give you the framework, the worldview, the principles by which you make decisions about every issue in this world. But there is a whole lot of God's truth that He's given us the privilege as His uh, people made in His image to discover and to learn about. So it doesn't tell us everything about technology. Engineers, you can still learn and work on all those engineering project, projects. You can see God's handiwork in the things that you are studying. It doesn't tell us everything about the functioning of human psychology. But I tell you, every, everything we need to know God, to know how to live, how to make moral decisions, to live until we are complete and conformed to the image of Christ is found in this word. It is sufficient to know God and to live well. I want us to learn that and go home and every time we come, come knowing that the word that we will hear is true, authoritative, and sufficient for us. Which brings me to the last point I simply want us to make. I want us always to come as the people in Nehemiah did, longing to hear. And I want to tell you, as I've been declaring the last two weeks, this word creates and it still recreates. It speaks into our lives and parts of us that were dead come to life. Uh, in the beginning, there was nothing. God spoke, it came into being, and even life came into being. And I'll tell you, when God speaks, still things come alive. Is that just too esoteric to make any sense to you? What kind of things come alive when the Word of God is spoken? Your pastor, for one. <laughs> just to let you know. The Bible tells us that with regard to, to knowing God, I was dead. I was dead in my sins. And then God's word came to me. And when I received it, he made me alive. It's not what I did. It's what he did. It's what born again means. I know many in our world hate it. What a beautiful thing. I was alive to physical things. I wasn't alive to eternal things. And now he's made me alive. Hallelujah. And he still does that. He uses his word spoken into the lives of people to bring us to life. And he uses our words that come from his word to speak his creating power into the lives of people. I'll just show you one text, Romans chapter 10, in which in verse 13 it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is going to be saved. But then the question, how can they call on him when they've never heard about him? How can they believe in the one they've never heard? How can they hear unless someone preaches to them? 
And then the powerful summary in verse 17. Because faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. And then I need to add this too before we have communion. Do you know that the Bible gives me a very clear command as your pastor about all the things I might do, but there's one thing I must do. You ever looked at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 4? Paul will say to Timothy, Timothy, everything that you and your people need are found here. And so what you must do is preach this word. Look at at first, he's pounding on the pulpit. Timothy, they're going to want you to do a lot of other things. You must give them my word. You must do it with patience, he says. And that's sometimes hard for us. Um, My mom, you know, good old West Virginia uh, language, would always say, you know, we have a new preacher, Greg, and uh, he's still preaching mad at us. I always like that phrase. You know what that means? We're not coming along fast enough for him. We're not responding enough for him. So he's still mad at us, but maybe someday he's going to love us. No, 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 Paul says, no, you bring them the word and let God do his work in his way and in his time with patience, but always with careful instruction. Timothy, sometimes they're not going to want to hear it. And I hear too, Pastor Greg, sometimes they're going to want to come in and just hear seven ways I can be happier today and then go out. Well, I'll give them some of that here, but what they really need is to hear this word. So you do the work of a gospel bearer. And when this word goes forward, is opened and it goes forward to you, you know what's going to happen? Sometimes you're going to come into church and you are going to feel beaten down and worn out. And this word is going to come to you and it's going to lift you up and send you out to live again. Sometime you're going to come into this church and you have a decision in front of you and you have no idea what to do and God's word is going to speak. And though you may not know everything, you'll know enough to know what the next step will be until he fulfills his word. And sometimes you're going to walk into this church and you know that there are some places where you've been living for yourself and not according to this word. It is going to correct you. It may be painful. It's going to do the work that a surgeon does in going after that cancer in our lives. But it will also renew you and send you out ready to live again. How did Paul put it to Timothy? I think I put it here. Timothy, the Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. For all Scripture is God-breathed And therefore, it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting. You want to highlight rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that God's people may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the Word of God. And now, I would like to have Pastor Jeff Leo come. Because we're going to remember now the one to whom all of this word points. And to the fact that he loved us so much he was willing to give his life on the cross. How do we know that that's true? How how do we know that that happened? You remember what Paul said. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. Which you received and on which you have taken your stand. 1 Corinthians 15.3. 
For I received what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins. How do we know? According to the scriptures. That he was buried and raised on the third day. Hallelujah. How do we know? It is according to the scriptures. Jeff, turn us to the scriptures and to the one to whom they point. So that we might worship him.